Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody, and welcome to Antioch Community Church. What a joy and delight it is uh, to be here to worship together, and welcome to Summer at Antioch, our time to gather together for a single service, and we'd love for you to stick around afterwards. I believe the treat of the day is EG's Italian Ice. Okay, so we'd love for you to uh, stick around and enjoy that with us. My name is Andy, and I am the executive. Lots of people excited about EGs, I guess. <laughs> okay, it's like, get on with the message, dude. Give me some EGs. Okay, I'll get going here. Well, my name is Andy. I'm the executive pastor here, and, and it's my delight to... Um, to help us take the next step in our current sermon, sermon series, which we called Life in His Name. And we've given the, uh, this series this title, Life in His Name, because, in fact, that's John, what John tells us is the reason for which he, he wrote the book. It says it in John chapter 20, verse 30. But these, meaning the, the signs, the miracles, the testimonies that are recorded in John's book are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Our hope and our desire is that as we unpack this book together, as we explore the truths of, of Scripture that are available to us in the book of John, that our, we would have eyes to see and we'd have ears to hear and a heart to respond to the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one, that the glory of Jesus would be revealed. And as we see him, that our faith in him would be strengthened and stirred, that our belief in him would be anchored more deeply. And that as that happens, we would all walk away with a greater sense of the life that's available for us in him. That's our desire uh, as we gather together. That's our desire uh, for what, and what we're believing for here today. Now, I don't know if any of you are, are like me, but I'm someone who really looks forward to things that are good, and I have a hard time when good things come to an end. Um, when, when I was growing up, I, I remember one of my, my favorite moments during the week was Friday at 3.45 p.m., because that's when I got home from school at the end of the week, and I had the entire weekend to look forward to. And in fact, I would go and I would do my homework right away. So I get the homework done so that I can have the whole weekend of friends and fun and sports, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have anything to worry about except for just the joy of the weekend. And then as much as I felt so excited about what was in front of me on fr Friday afternoon at 3.45, Sunday at 5 p.m., the opposite would happen. And all of a sudden, you'd feel this sense of, of I don't know, dread fill my, fill my heart as I had to look forward to another week. And I had to wait a whole nother week for that feeling to come back. I think that's why I, I, I would say Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I call it the Friday of holidays because you get to have it and it's fun. There's fun, family, football, festivities, all, all of those things. And when it's over, you still have a whole holiday season in front of you. And, and, and you still have a whole time of getting like, great, it's uh, the whole Christmas season and leading up to it. And the, the same way that I felt on, 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 would feel on Sunday evening, that's actually how I feel a little bit on New Year's Day. It's like, oh, it's over. The season is over. It's, it's time, to, time to move on. I, I, I'm, I'm someone who looks forward to good things and I have a hard time uh, when good things come to an end. Um, thankfully, as I have matured, I, at least I think, um, as I've grown uh, a little bit, I think I'm better about handling it when good things come to an end. But I do remember this one time before I had grown up a little bit, uh, when I was uh, probably eight or nine years old, and I was over at a friend's house, and 
uh, and this might date me a little bit, that, uh, is that uh, we were playing Sega Genesis. Okay, that was the game console of our day. Okay, Sega Genesis and playing Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which was our game. Okay. And it, we were having so much fun. It was a blast and I did not want it to end. But eventually my dad showed up and said, hey, Andy, it's, it's time to go. And, uh, you know, came to the house and he came upstairs and said, hey, Andy, it's time to go. And I'm like, oh, but dad, I love this game. Can we keep playing just like 10 more minutes, please, 10 more minutes. And he said, fine. He went back downstairs, was talking with my friend's parents, came back uh, 10 minutes later. It's like, okay, it's, it's really time to go now. And I'm like, but dad, please, I love this. We just beat this level and now we got this thing. And he's like, I, I don't care about that. I'm like, come on, dad, please. Five more minutes. Okay, fine. Five more minutes. Comes back five minutes later. Andy, it's really time to go. I'm like, Dad, please, this is my favorite game. I love this. No, it is time to go. And I went hysterical. I was like, no, Dad, no, you can't make me. You won't make me. I'm staying. I'm staying. And he literally had to come over, wrap his arms around me, and yank me off of the, and I would not let go of the controller. So I actually yanked the controller out of the console, almost pulled the console off the table. I like good things, and I do not like it when good things come to an end. Today, we're going to look at, at a passage of Scripture where we see Jesus speak of him coming to this earth to bring us a good thing, to bring us bread that nourishes, bread that satisfies. And the special thing about this bread is that it endures forever, that there's something about Jesus and the bread that he wants to bring us is that it continues to satisfy and nourish us now and, and for the rest of our lives and for all eternity. And that's the good news that, that he has available for us and that he wants to speak to us today. And so we're going to be in John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. And we're going to be reading a, a lot of scripture today. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that as we, as we read the scripture together, uh, that the, again, that the revelation of who Jesus is would be revealed to us. And that the significance of what he's speaking would land with us. And that, again, we would find life in who he is. So John chapter 6, and this story is, we're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then we're going to also look at the dialogue that happens between Jesus and his followers and, and, and um, some of the Jews that were present in the aftermath. And together, my hope is that we were able to draw three connections and three conclusions that we walk away with today. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people set, sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, most scholars acknowledge that, that it was only speaking, it was only counting the men. If you count women and children, it could have been upwards of 20,000 people here in this crowd who came to, to, um, to, to draw near to Jesus. 
Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so Jesus, I'm going to just paraphrase kind of this next section, and then we're going to continue to read um, uh, some more scripture. Jesus sees, has this moment where 5,000 men, up to 20,000 people are before him. They're secluded in a place. They don't have anything to eat. And Jesus performs this miracle. He takes these five loaves of bread and these two fish, and he multiplies it so everybody has what they need. And the people are astonished by this, and they're amazed by this. And they actually have, and, and Jesus senses in their heart their desires, their agenda of what they're going to want him to do. Wow, this is a, a special man. This is an amazing man, and we actually uh, want, maybe this man is the one who's going to come and be for us what we, what we really want him to be. And so Jesus, knowing that, decides to separate himself, and he goes, it says he, he withdrew to a, a lonely place. His disciples then joined with him, and after a few hours, Jesus sent his disciples on their way and to cross over the sea, to cross over the lake. And after a little bit after that, he followed them, but he didn't take a boat. He actually, we, the, the next passage is he actually walks on water to join them on the other side. Now, those who were in attendance knew, just experienced this amazing miracle. And they were astute enough to know that when the disciples left on the boat, there was only one boat and Jesus wasn't on it. And so when they don't, when Jesus isn't there anymore, and they had the sense that Jesus may be on the other side. They were like, wow, who is this man that he can do things like this? And so they actually want to meet up with him and talk with him more about it. And that brings us to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Or maybe another way they were, thinking, they were saying is, how did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread of heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And jumping now to verse 47, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This, this bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
I wanted us to read this entire passage because it's very clear that the miracle that Jesus performed is connected to the dialogue and the conversation that happens after. And if you remember what we covered a few weeks ago when we talked about Jesus turning water into wine, we, we need to remember that the purpose of miracles was, was twofold. Jesus performed miracles to demonstrate that he's a person who had authority and therefore his words should be listened to, his words should be believed in and followed. But also the purpose of a miracle was to substantiate the message. The purpose of the miracle was that he, Jesus would give a message with his words to provide illumination, and then he would do a miracle to provide illustration. And so the, these two things that are happening are very much connected with one another. Jesus performs this amazing thing, and then there's a conversation that happens about it by which Jesus reveals the purpose that he did the miracle. He reveals the significance of what he had just done. And we need to connect that these two things, that the, that the feeding of the 5,000 isn't just about Jesus doing something nice for people, to bless people. Certainly that was part of it, but there was somewhat, he was actually conveying a message about himself. He was saying, this, this verifies something about me. This legitimizes something about me. This is to help you understand me and for my glory to be revealed through it. And so I, I want us to ask ourselves the question, well, what are those things? What is the message he's wanting to convey to us through that miracle? And I believe that there's three things that we can take away from this story. The first is that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a holy man, but he is, in fact, God or the son of God. It's very clear here when we're reading this passage that there's a, there's a connection between this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the way that God fed the Israelites in, in the wilderness in between Egypt and Canaan. And there's a connection that, that, they, that they, those weren't intendants, were, they were able to identify. They're the ones who even brought it up. Our ancestors ate manna like this. Jesus, you just did something that reminded me, reminded us of something that we know about. And there's a clear connection be between that. And that's probably why in verse 14, they say, wow, look at what he does. Surely this man is a, is a prophet who has come into the world. He's a holy man that's come into the world who speaks on God's behalf. But Jesus, actually his response is, yeah, I'm kind of like somebody that you know. I'm kind of like that, but I'm so much more than that. And he wants to, and, and he, we're, they're drawing a parallel between these two stories and I want us to look at the similarities of the stories as well as the differences between the stories for us to see that, that though Jesus is kind of in the, the kind of a, a type of Moses, he's also in a category all of his own. So let's look at the, the similarities between the stories. The, the, the story of God feeding the Israelites in the wilderness can be found in Exodus 16. And I'm just going to uh, kind of just talk about it. We're not going to read it together. Um, but the, just to kind of catch us up to speed, what, what happened there, the Israelites had been rescued by God out of Egypt, delivered out of, out of bondage. And after a couple days pass out of the, after that deliverance, they're in the desert and they're grumbling. They're complaining and they're, they're saying, we're hungry, we're starving, we want something to eat. And some of them even said, we'd rather go back into slavery because at least then we had some food. And in response to this, God in his compassion and his mercy doesn't send them back, doesn't give them what they want. He gives them something else instead. He gives them what we know as manna from heaven. And he explains to Moses how it's going to work. He says, I'm going to provide you quail by night, which is, you know, uh, birds to eat, meat to eat by night. And then at nighttime, there's a dew, uh, there will be a dew that will fall over the camp. And as the morning comes, the dew will lift. And what will remain are these little flakes 
um, that, that, that Exodus describes is kind of like coriander that tastes like honey. And this is manna. And this is for them to consume and to enjoy. And he gave them very clear instructions. You can eat as much of this manna as you want for the day. If you want a little bit, eat a little bit. If you want a lot of it, eat a lot of it. It's up to you. You eat as much as you want. Just one thing is you cannot store up manna for the next day. You can't take more than what you need for that day because God wanted them to trust him and not live out of a fear of scarcity, not live out of a fear of the unknown, a fear of what will happen. God said, trust me, I will be your provider. I will be the one who cares for you. Take only what you need. And so that's what they did. They took what they need. Now, the only time they were allowed to take more than what they need was actually on the day before the Sabbath so that they could take bread for that day as well as the, as well as the day after because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. And it's really interesting when we look back at that story. The, the, so there's some similarities of, of God providing food for hungry people um, it, it, in a secluded place who have no access to food. There's also some other similarities that it says God gives the reason why he provided this food for them. It says this in, in verses 6 and 12 of Exodus 16. It says, so that they'll know that it was God who delivered them out of Egypt. So there's something about God providing this miraculous provision to help them know and remember that God is their provider, that God is the, it, to, to testify to the fact that it was God who was the one who just saved them. Verse 12, and says that, the, that God is the, lo- the Lord their God. Uh, the, so the purpose of them, it was to, certainly to meet a physical need, but it was also for them to know that God, who God was and that God was with them. This was so significant for them, in fact, that Moses actually took some of that manna and he put it in a jar. And he said, actually, I want to I keep this. And I'm going to keep this in the Ark of the Covenant so that from one generation to the next, we will not forget that God is our provider. We will not forget that God is our, de- our deliverer. And so here in this story, we, we see that there's extra manna that's kept for the purpose of revealing the glory of God. So, so, these, so we can see that it just as uh, uh, there's some clear parallels here. People who are hungry get fed. They're in a secluded place. They need food. God uh, provides it. Um, that everyone who, in verse 18 of Exodus 16, it says that everyone who gathered much did not have too much. Everyone who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. Here in this story, everyone who ate was satisfied. They had their fill. No matter how much they had, they, they were satisfied. And in the end, ultimately, we see that the um, that extra is left over for a significant purpose. Jesus says, I want you to collect what the food that's left over because I don't want any of it to spoil or to go to waste. I don't want, I, I, I don't, I want, it has an intended effect that is still yet to be fulfilled in the same way that Moses collected extra for the purpose of testifying to who God was for, from one generation to the next. But there's also some key differences between these two stories, and I want to highlight them. In Exodus, Moses didn't give the bread. God did, right? Moses didn't give the bread. God did. Jesus himself in this story is the one who multiplies the bread and ultimately uh, distributes it. In Exodus, leftover manna, except for that which was kept for a specific purpose, it actually spoiled. And, and, and that's part of why God said don't hold on to it more than what you need. Because if you keep it for the next day, that, that manna is going to go bad. And, and some of the Israelites did that. And their, the, the manna became um, smelly, kind of filled with bugs. It was, it was kind of gross. He said don't keep extra because it will spoil. Here in this, in this story, the bread of Jesus that's left over, it doesn't spoil. 
Um, here, the, the, another difference we see is the primary, the primary thing God was accomplishing in Exodus was to meet a physical need. The primary thing that Jesus is, is doing here in this story is not just to meet a physical need, but to, to show how he's going to ultimately meet a spiritual need. And in Exodus, Moses administers the bread, but here in this story, Jesus says, I am the bread. He, it, Mo, Moses is, is just kind of a middleman, but Jesus, actually, I am, the one who, I am the one who has descended from heaven. I'm actually the substance that you will partake of and enjoy. And these differences are significant for us to highlight. G, everything Jesus does isn't just to do something, it's to reveal something. It's to speak something. And what Jesus is saying is that, yeah, I'm kind of similar to something that you've known, but I'm also very different than something that you've known. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a, a man of God. I'm not just a holy one. I'm actually God himself, God in the flesh. And I'm the one who's descended from heaven to earth to provide food for the hungry. Okay, so number one, he's not just a holy man. He's not just a prophet. He is, he is the son of God. He is God. Number two, as we just mentioned, I want to unpack this a little further. Jesus didn't just come to meet a physical need, but to meet a spiritual need. He, Jesus performs a miracle to reveal who he is, to make a statement about his nature. And we see this in verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verses 48 through 50. Jesus is even more explicit. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And so Jesus feeding the 5,000 certainly is... Him and 5,000 men, up to 20,000 people, certainly he's bringing a blessing to people who are physically hungry. But it's so much more than that. He's actually verifying and foreshadowing the way in which his broken body will be distributed to a hungry world that needs not just physical satisfaction, but spiritual satisfaction. His, it foreshadows the way his broken body will be disseminated so that those who receive it, partake of it, enjoy it, can receive the benefits that that bread provides, which isn't just satisfaction of hunger, but salvation, forgiveness, new life, Grace, hope, joy, freedom, the things that the world really needs, those are the things that his food, as it's distributed, will supply. He's not just, he didn't, this is not just about him meeting a physical need. It's about him saying, actually, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I have come to do, is to feed the hungry of the world. One of the amazing things about this story is, that, is the fact that there are 12 basketfuls left over. I, this is my favorite part of the story. There are 12 basketfuls left over, and, the, and there's, there's some significance in that that we're going we're gonna to touch on later. But one of the first things that, I, uh, that jumped off, to my, off the page to me was the fact that there are 12 baskets. And scholars have some different thoughts about what these 12 baskets represent, but one of them is certainly is the fact that there were 12 disciples who were called to be ministers of the gospel. They were called to administrate the good news about Jesus' broken body and his blood poured out to the world. They're meant to carry and convey that message to people who were hungry, to people who will never hurt. He said, keep this bread so that, it will, so that nothing will go to waste. These, that bread symbolizes the gospel message that those disciples were called to carry into the world, to share and to invite people to eat of not physical bread, but of spiritual bread that would bring salvation and freedom for them. 
That's what, the, that's what, that's what those 12 baskets represent. And guess what? Those ba- baskets are available for us too. We're called to, as people who have tasted and seen the goodness of God, that we have experienced salvation in God. We, have, we get to carry those extra basketfuls into the world, not to persuade anybody or convince anybody of anything, but just to say, I'm a hungry person who's found some food. Would you like to try some? I, I'm, I'm a hungry, broken person who's tasted something that actually satisfies. Would you like to try this? That's what sharing the gospel and, in, and inviting others into life in God is all about. It's about just inviting them to the table and saying, I, I, it's not, I, I don't have anything to give, but Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one who can satisfy you. Try some and see for yourself. Jesus came not to uh, meet just a physical need, but to ultimately meet a spiritual need. And finally, number three, the food that Jesus offers is superior to all other food. The, the food that Jesus brings and gives us is the best. That nothing can hold a candle to it. Nothing else compares. The food that Jesus, is, uh, that Jesus brings and that Jesus is, is supreme. Verse 27 Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then then in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He says, Don't work for food that spoils, but food that endures. And he's clearly making a juxtaposition between the manna of the wilderness and the bread that he offers. He's saying, don't work for food that's like the manna of the, of the wilderness because that food spoils. That food is here for a moment, but then it's gone. That food maybe gives you, a, a, supplies something here for, um, for here just for a moment, but then that fades away. But actually work for, prefer, choose, seek after. Say, I, my, I'm making my goal and my aim is the food that never, that never stops satisfying. Jesus is saying, I actually offer a meal that, that continues on. I, I, I offer a meal, I offer sustenance that sustains you and keeps on sustaining you. Not because when you eat of it, you'll never be hungry again, but because that eating of that bread actually provides a lifetime of meals that you can continue to enjoy and have for the rest of your life. Um, let me just say it like this. You'll never get to a place in life where you'll be able to say, I've experienced all there is to experience in God. I, I've tasted all that there is. There's no more joy to be had. There's no more peace to be had. There's no more satisfaction. I, I, I've tasted it all. No, there, there is, with, with God, you can have your full and yet there's still 12 basketfuls left over. There's still more to experience. There's still more to be had. And so when we eat of him and we choose him and we say, actually, I want to work for the food that doesn't spoil, we're saying, actually, I want to give myself to the food that endures. It satisfies me now and it will satisfy me tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It endures into an eternal life because the joy of our freedom in God, the joy of our salvation, the joy that he is with us and loves us and cares about us, it never grows old. It never, it never fades. It never fails. His love endures forever. His love sustains us forever. His love satisfies and nourishes us forever. And there's always more to enjoy. Um, let, me, let me say it like this. We live in a world that's governed by the law of diminishing returns. Meaning the more that you seek something to make you happy, the less happy it makes you over time. 
And in fact, you actually have to, in, you have to dial up the stimulation to get the same level of pleasure. And in fact, this is what creates addiction. Because like, actually, that same thing doesn't hit the mark anymore. I have to do a little bit more to get what I need. You know, it's not that way with God. You don't have to, it's not like, oh, I, I've, I've experienced it and now it's over and now I just need a more, I need a, I need a superior experience, something beyond that to, to give me the same level of happiness. God's meal that he provides satisfies us fully and as we, as we satisfy it and as we enjoy it, we recognize that our, there's still more to be discovered. There's still more to be had. There's still 12 basketfuls left over for us to, to seek after and to enjoy of unexplored grace, of unexplored joy, of unexplored freedom. The, nothing in this world can compare to that. Nothing in this world can compare to the, the love of Christ. Nothing in this world can compare to the food that, um, that he provides. And, and he wants us to recognize the difference between food that spoils and food that endures. He wants us to say, you know what? Here is my word and this is my truth. My child, please understand that there is food. And let me say this. It's not that the, the food is inherently bad. I'm not even talking about sin. There are some things that are good in this life that, are, that can be enjoyed. But just understand, you don't want to bank your life on that because it won't endure. It won't last. He's like, I want you to understand that there's a food of this world that's like manna in the desert. It, it spoils eventually. There's a food that I offer that, that never spoils, that never fades. And he invites us not only to identify the difference, but to seek after and to choose that which is best, to prefer that which is better. Isaiah 55, he says it like this. This is, this is of course, before Jesus' time, but there's an invitation to see what we're seeing here in this passage. He says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. The, the bread of the world is like manna. It, it satisfies for a moment, but then it's gone. Jesus, when he feeds the 5,000, he performs this miracle He's making a statement about himself. He's saying, I am God. And I have come to this world to meet not just a physical need, but a spiritual need. And I will do so by providing a superior bread that once you taste and enjoy it, it will not only make you happy here in that moment, here and now, but it will make you satisfied and fulfilled now and forevermore. Church, let's not settle for the bread of the world. Let's not settle for the bread that fades, for the bread that spoils, but let's prefer what, what it says in Isaiah 55, eat what is good. Let's prefer what is good. Uh, let's not settle for that which does not satisfy and spend our labor and our money and our effort on what does not satisfy. But let's, let's make the choice ourselves to say, yep, I know the difference and I'm going with this one. I'm going with Jesus. Let's keep reading here as we um, finish out the story. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission not just to be a prophet, not just to be the king that they, that many of the, his listeners or followers wanted him to be. He was on a mission to be the son of God, to reveal the glory of God by fully obeying the will of God to give himself up as a ransom for many. That was his mission. And he wasn't interested in the agenda uh, of those who wanted him to be something else. And he wasn't interested in having followers who just wanted something from him, but didn't want him. He wasn't interested in, in, in having followers that wanted his works, but didn't want his words. He, he wasn't interested in having followers who, who, who wanted the, 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 be, the blessings and the benefits, who wanted the gifts, but didn't want the giver. And so Jesus actually speaks something here that's pretty uncomfortable. We, we have to eat of your flesh? I have to drink of your blood? What are you talking about? That's weird. Like, why are you, why are you saying that? And they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And what Jesus is specifically aiming to do is he's giving something that's uncomfortable and challenging that is probably for everyone who was there really hard to understand because he's trying to filter out and sift out who his real followers are. And there's something about difficulty that has a way of uncovering where true loyalties lie. Um, a week ago, I took my son, Zachary, to the Suns game, game seven against the Mavericks. And we all know how that game ended. It was, it was pretty, um, pretty disastrous, right? But what was interesting to me was not, uh, not, I mean, the game was not actually not that enjoyable to be at. But what was interesting to me was how the, the, the fans in the arena responded to their performance, Keep in mind that this was the best team in the NBA. Like they had the best record. They had from over the course of two or three years had gone from complete obscurity to the number one seed in the NBA and number one seed in the West. Like these are the, and, and generally Suns fans are very excited about this. They love their hometown team. At halftime, what you could hear echoing throughout the entire arena was boos, booing them. And not just booing them, but like hurling profanities and hurling insults at them. And, and saying things that I like had to cover Zachary's ears, like we don't say that, we don't, we, we don't, we don't, don't listen to that. And, it, and like, was the game awful? Yeah, like, are we all very disappointed with how they performed? Absolutely, but you're, they're still your team. You think that's gonna get them to play any better by telling them how bad they are? If, if you're a true follower, then you follow whether it's hard or whether it's easy. 
You, if you're a true follower, you follow whether, whether times are good or times are bad. That's what true followers are. And Jesus is saying, actually, I'm bringing something to you that's going to be a challenge. And I'm going to uncover who my real followers are. Who are who's able to stick with me and stay with me and say, Jesus, I want you no matter what you say, no matter what you do, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if I don't understand it. This passage, this part of the, this story really hits home with me as, um, as someone who is on the, the leadership team here at the church, who... I have an opportunity um, here and again to, to speak from this stage. The, there's a temptation that uh, we as communicators would have to only speak of the things of Jesus that are palatable for people. To only speak about the things that are, that are easy, that, ever, that no one would find offensive, that Jesus loves people and that he cares about people and his compassion and his blessing and, and, his, and his mercy. But the truth is that that, that, that there are some things that are hard teachings in Scripture. There are some things that when you say them may not land well with people, but we have an honor and, and responsibility to portray the whole Jesus, the Bible Jesus. And, and so for, to a world that is maybe has, kind of leans in a humanistic way to say that, there, that everything that's good is stuff that can be created from within humans, that, uh, that nothing can't be achieved with... Um, there's nothing that can't be achieved with human effort and human ingenuity and, and human resources. I actually am here to say there's actually one thing that you can never accomplish and achieve in your life, and that's the forgiveness of sin. You actually can't, you, you can't work hard enough in your own effort to cancel the, the written charge that was against all of us because of our sin against a holy God. There's nothing that we can do to acquit ourselves in court as we stand before God. There's only one who is good enough to do that. And to a world that celebrates what we can achieve with our own effort and our own strength, this isn't maybe an uncomfortable teaching. That's a, that's a hard teaching. You're telling me that there's something that I can't do? There's something that, that, that I, where you're saying I'm actually not good enough in this area? Yeah, actually there is the truth that, you, and that you're not good enough. There's only one who is good enough, and it's Jesus. He's the only one who's qualified to cancel our debt. He's the only one who's qualified to erase our sin. He's the only one who's qualified to, to offer forgiveness, to wash our sin away. And that may be a hard teaching, but this, that's, the, that's the teaching of Jesus. That's the truth of who Jesus is. To a world that, that celebrates exhilaration and adventure and pleasure and promises us moment by moment, day by day, if you try this, it will make you happy. This will fulfill you. This will bring you pleasure. To say that actually, you know, there's actually only one food that truly satisfies. There's only one meal that actually will hit the mark. There, there's actually a, a void inside of you and you can try to fill it with other things, but it's never gonna work. There's actually only one person and there's actually only one food that can do that. That's the bread of life. His name is Jesus. To some that may feel, uh, that's, oh, that's a hard teaching. That's uncomfortable for me. But, but that's, that's what Jesus, that's who Jesus is. And, and, and we feel responsible to, to teach the Jesus of the Bible. There may be times as we journey with God that, that something doesn't hit us the right way or something feels uncomfortable for us or maybe we feel confused by something. And that's okay. But I think as long as we're able to still yet respond the way Peter did. I don't, 
I think Peter's response here is pretty remarkable because I think it reveals just like, I, I think Peter is just like all of us. I don't think we act, Peter actually knew what Jesus was really saying. I don't think he really knew that what Jesus was talking about was not a physical consumption, but a spiritual consumption. You know, eat my bread, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus wasn't talking about, of course, eating him physically. He was talking about my body that's going to be broken on your behalf. If you partake of it, if you receive it, if you assimilate with it, if you take ownership over it, you will experience life. If you receive my blood poured out on your behalf as a gift and partake of it and enjoy it and, and take ownership over it, assimilate with it, it will give you life. I don't think Peter actually understood that that's what he was saying. But his response is this response that I believe we all are called to have, even when we don't understand. Yeah, I may be confused. That may be hard and I may not understand. But where else can I go? Where, where else can I go? Je Jesus, I don't care how confused or hurt I may feel. I still choose you. Jesus, I want you. Where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. My hope and prayer this morning is that wherever you're at in the room, no matter what you're facing, that something right now would be rising up within you, that type of resolve to say, Jesus, where else would I go? You are the one that I want. Where else can I turn? You're the one who actually brings me bread, actually brings me life that lasts. I wanna close our time together by taking communion as I, I believe it's significant given the passage that we just unpacked together to remember who, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so if you can find the elements there in front of you. And we want, to, we want to celebrate Jesus this morning as the bread of life, as the one who gave up his body on our behalf. We were the ones who had gone wayward and he, yet, and he was the faithful one. And yet still he took our place on the cross and received the punishment that we deserved. And he is, as he has declared here, he is the bread of life. His broken body is given to us to, to meet not a physical need, but a spiritual need, the need for forgiveness. And so uh, if you can go ahead and you can pull out the bread and I want us to take it together. And as we take it, let's remember his broken body that, has, that was given, not just here in this moment to, to feed a group of hungry people, but his, bo his body that was broken on behalf of the world so that those who would receive him could experience the benefits and the blessings of salvation and new life. Let's take the bread together. And in the, in the same way, Jesus said that if you need to drink of my blood. You need to, to, to drink of me in order to experience salvation and, and to quench your thirst so that you will never thirst again. We remember Jesus, as we take this cup together, we remember Jesus' blood poured out on our behalf, that he gave up his life so that we could have life. We want to celebrate Jesus this morning, celebrate his givenness to us, his commitment to us, his faithfulness to us. 
and his desire to, to see us experience life and life to the full. As we drink this cup, let's remember his blood given on our behalf. Let's take the cup. Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for your commitment to us. We thank you for your body given on our behalf and, and broken. We thank you for the death that you died so that we wouldn't have to. We thank you for your blood poured out so that we, could, we can drink of it and, and that with your body and with your blood, we can experience a meal that lasts not just here and now, but forever. Thank you that there is satisfaction in you, that there's fulfillment in you that compares to nothing else. You are altogether set apart. And now we turn to you. We heed your invitation to come. We heed your invitation. You say, come to me, come to me and eat what is good. And so we say, we're here to draw close to you and to say, no matter what we go through and what we face, our meal of preference, our meal of choice is Jesus Christ. We choose you, Jesus. We choose you. Be honored and lifted high and exalted, we pray in your name, Lord. Amen. I wanna invite you all to stand with me. And as you stand, I'd love for our ministry team to come forward as we move into a time of response. And this morning, have a couple different calls to, to respond that come from our message today. The first is, has to do with which meal, which food do you choose to eat? And as we were sharing and as we were unpacking scripture, I'm, I'm hoping that, that the Holy Spirit was working in some of you, bringing a revelation to you, showing you how the, you know, there's actually some food that you work for that spoils. There's some food that you work for that doesn't last. And Jesus is inviting you to say, actually lay down that food today and come to me and experience the food that I want to give, a food that will satisfy you now and forever. So if that's you, we invite you to, to make your way to the front and let our team pray with you and, and believe with you that you will experience a life and satisfaction in Jesus that, that it causes the, uh, uh, that the food of the world to pale in comparison. And for others, this last thing that we talked about with Jesus and the hard teaching and, and yet the resolve to say, Jesus, I choose you. I, I just have the sense that there may be some in the room who are struggling with confusion, who are struggling with disappointment, who's struggling with pain and you don't really know what to do about it. But there's something about Peter's resolve really landed with you and said, I, but at the end, I don't understand. I don't, it still hurts, but Jesus, where else can I go? You alone have the words of life. And so if that's you, I encourage you to come forward at this time and to let our team partner with you and, and pray with you and believe that, that Jesus wants to speak to you words of life. And of course, if there's any other need in the room, financial, spiritual, physical, relational, our team is here for you. We love you, care about you. Please come forward and let our team minister to you. And this time, let's not miss this moment, but let's invite God to meet with us as we respond together.